0: All right, everybody, get excited. It is Thursday, March 16th, 2023. The March Madness begins today, so no worries. Work is pretty much done for the week in most of your offices. <laughs> You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shuanunu.
1: You heard that here first. I am Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts.
0: And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to and tell you when you can just put down your pencils and uh, enjoy the rest of the week. I think the game starts just about noon today, Jill.
1: So didn't they have, like, the pre-first round?
0: They do. They have those, like, play-in games on Tuesday night. Like, but basically, those are the games to determine a couple 16-seeds. And, you know, we know how often the 16-seeds win. So in earnest, your brackets really start mattering today. And if you're listening to this before noon, you have a couple more hours to fill out those brackets.
1: All right, let's get to some of these headlines. The banking crisis has officially spread to Europe. The latest on Credit Suisse and how the Swiss governments responding – Massive protests in France as the country considers raising the retirement age from 62 to 64. How the situation in America compares? Texas announces a takeover of Houston's schools, making it the largest school takeover in U.S. history. TikTok on the clock. The threat of a ban here in the U.S. is getting serious for TikTok. So much so that the Biden administration now reportedly demanding TikTok's Chinese owners sell their stakes in the app or else.
0: Or else we'll keep referencing the Kesha song.
1: Absolutely. And even though nearly 80 percent of his constituents want him to resign, Congressman George Santos files for re-election to have that kind of confidence, Moshe.
0: Jill, I'm waiting for you to stand outside his office with a sign since you live in his district. But we'll get to more of that in this podcast.
1: Van Wilder, a.k.a. Ryan Reynolds, sells his latest company for more than a billion dollars. It looks like acting is just a side hustle for him. Okay, America, for the first time in three decades, we've got a new most popular dog. This one is actually a bit controversial. And March Madness is here. We're going to break down the odds of having a perfect bracket Mosh, you've got a bigger chance of getting struck by lightning.
0: It's actually remarkable how much more likely it is to be struck by lightning than get a perfect bracket, Jill. We will break down the numbers and there's a lot of zeros.
1: And Mosh, of course, is on this day in history.
0: Here's your clue, folks. Do you remember the name Jeff Galuli?
1: Maybe one day this week, we'll be able to begin the podcast on non-banking news, but Today is not that day. The banking crisis has now officially spread to Europe. Wednesday was a wild day on Wall Street. First, Credit Suisse, a major international bank based in Switzerland, said that it found certain material weaknesses in its financial controls from 2021 and 2022. Then the bank's largest investor, Saudi National Bank, said that it would not provide any additional funding. And this all sparked a massive sell-off and a lot of concerns about the stability of the global financial system. Things turned around a bit when a Swiss regulator, their version of the Federal Reserve, showed its support for Credit Suisse, saying that the country's central bank would give Credit Suisse liquidity if needed. Credit Suisse was founded more than 150 years ago to finance the expansion of Swiss railroads.
0: So keep in mind here that the problems with Credit Suisse over in Switzerland are very different from the problems at Silicon Valley Bank and the regional issues we are dealing with in the US. But there's just a larger risk in the marketplace right now. And people are just very much on pins and needles when it comes to banking. Unlike Silicon Valley Bank, Credit Suisse is considered globally, systemically important. It has nearly $600 billion in assets, more than double, nearly triple, frankly, the size of Silicon Valley Bank. And it falls under a lot of scrutiny and international banking rules that were created after the 2008 collapse of Lehman Brothers. Major banks do a lot of business with each other. And so that was one of the concerns here, the domino effect of concerns at Credit Suisse. At the same time, Credit Suisse has had a lot of issues going on for a while here major financial losses, a high-profile data breach. They've had some financial woes of late. They cut a bunch of jobs. They actually once dreamed of competing with JP Morgan and Goldman Sachs, et cetera. That is no more. And over the past couple of years, like a lot of banks, its cost of doing business has gone up as interest rates have gone up in the U.S. and in Europe. One economist saying that Credit Suisse is, in principle, a much bigger concern for the global economy. Credit Suisse is not just a Swiss problem, but a global one. By the way, you mentioned, Jill, the Saudis not putting new money in Credit Suisse to back it up. They own just under 10% of the bank. They don't want to own 10% or more of the bank because then they face more rules and regulations. And the last things the Saudi government ever wants is more rules and regulations on what it's up to and what it has to disclose. So the Swiss government here basically backing up Credit Suisse. The concern, again, could this spill over to the U.S. and some bigger banks? And so that is where things are at. Jill, I'll add one more thing on Silicon Valley Bank as we record this podcast. Three days into his tenure, there's a new government-appointed CEO of Silicon Valley Bank. His name is Tim Myopoulos. His message to VCs and startup clients, bring your money back here. There is literally no safer place at this point than Silicon Valley Bank because of the way we've been backed up by the government. So that is the case they're making right now as they try to figure out 2.0.
1: So at this rate, Mosh with the stock market selling off and just a lot of uncertainty, many of us might be thinking, are we ever going to be able to retire? It is a debate that's actually raging right now in France. Today, the parliament is slated to vote on President Emmanuel Macron's plan to raise the legal age of retirement to 64 years old from 62. And he would do that gradually ahead of the vote. More than a million French citizens have protested the change in Paris. Garbage is piled high because workers are on strike and not collecting it. And it cuts to the core of French society. One protester had a message on his sign that read, work less to live more.
0: Nothing more French there. John.
1: <laughs> totally. Totally. <laughs> Polls suggest that at least two-thirds of French people do not want the retirement age raised above 62, even though the age of retirement has climbed to over 65 throughout Europe, Italy, Spain, the Netherlands, all on their way to 67 as being the year for retirement. But Macron, standing firm, he says it's necessary to put the country on better financial footing France has a demographic problem. There are just not enough young workers paying into the system to support a growing number of retirees.
0: Yeah, France is an extreme example of what a number of countries, including the U.S., are dealing with. Forbes broke it down. There are currently two historic demographic changes that we're living through. There's the older adults, the post-war generation, the boomers, that are living longer now, into their 70s, into their 80s, and they're a very large generation. They had relatively fewer children Than they came from. So those demographics are baked into the financial cake here. There are just not enough young people paying for these pensions for older folks, and nothing will change that short of a massive increase in immigration of young people from the developing world. So many countries are having issues on how to pay benefits to retirees. Systems that were built back in the day when people lived into their 60s and there were more young people are not built for the current era. At the same time, though, the U.S. is not France. In the U.S., there are currently three workers for every retiree. By 2050, it'll be two workers for every retiree. That's bad, but in France, they're in a much worse situation. Right now, there are 1.7 workers for every retiree, and within the next decade, it'll just be one and a half workers for every retiree, and the benefits in France are really nice. Some of them are living on 80 dollars to $90,000 a year. On average, French retirees receive about 60% of their pre-retirement earnings through the public pension system. In the US, you receive typically about 40% with Social Security of your pre-retirement earnings. And so you have in France, they're trying to raise the retirement age from 62 to 64. US retirees born in 1960 or later must already wait until 67 to receive full Social Security benefits. Still, even with the less benefits here and uh, the higher age range, the US will still need reforms in the coming years as money for Social Security And Medicare will run out in the coming decade. And so that will be a debate on Capitol Hill. You're going to hear it in the election year next year. France is just a preview of potential things to come here.
1: I don't feel like I'm going to remotely be able to retire ever, actually.
0: (laughs) Right, Jill. We're talking about, like, you know, the funds running out in the 2030s. For millennials and Gen Z, the idea that, like, will Social Security still be around when they begin to retire in the 2060s and 2070s? A lot of things will change between now and then, and clearly the government needs to recalibrate and rethink how pensions work at that point. Jill, we have much more to talk about in this podcast, including the speed read, but first I want to talk about one of our partners this week, Harry's. It is a brand I've been using for a great shave for a number of years now. My wife found their aftershave a couple years ago, and I've been a loyal customer ever since. I then more recently tried their shaving cream as well, and so I'm so excited they're joining us as a partner with a special deal For the Mo News community, they are offering their Truman Shave Trial Set. It includes one of their five-blade razors with a nice weighted handle, as well as that shaving gel. It is a $15 value that you can get for a limited time for $3 over at harrys.com slash mo news. Again, the Truman Shaving Kit includes a five-blade razor, the foaming shave gel, a travel cover that covers key. You can put it around the blade so you don't cut yourself in your dop kit, keeps the blade clean. You can also schedule replacement blade delivery whenever you need them with refills for as little as $2. I am genuinely a big fan of the Harry's brand. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Again, this special News deal here, $15 Truman Shave Trial Set for only $3 right now at harrys.com slash News. That's harrys, H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com slash mo news for the $3 trial set.
1: Now to Athletic Greens. I've been using their AG1 supplement in the mornings. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. It's easy, it's quick, and it lets you get on with your day. Knowing that you have gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. Just visit athleticgreens.com/slash Mo News to take advantage of the offer and you could get a discounted monthly subscription or you could try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from the Associated Press. Texas officials announced a state takeover of Houston's public school system with its nearly 200,000 students. It is the eighth largest district in the country. The announcement was made by Republican Governor Greg Abbott's education commissioner, and it comes after years of threats. The state starting to make moves toward a takeover in 2019 following allegations of misconduct by school trustees including inappropriate influencing of vendor contracts and chronically low academic scores at one of its roughly 50 high schools. But this move has angered Democrats who say it's all political.
0: This amounts to one of the largest school takeovers in American history. Other big cities like Philly, New Orleans, Detroit have also gone through state takeovers of their public school systems they're generally viewed as a last resort for underperforming schools often met with community backlash uh charges of of racism politics etc in these cases critics say that past outcomes show little improvement following state intervention though texas says it had to make a move here for a long time now they've been seeing a failure to improve test scores corruption by the school board so the state here Intervening. The state has taken over about 15 school districts. It still manages a district outside of Waco, another one outside of Conroe, Texas, just north there of Houston. The state has given back control of eight of the districts to their local school boards after reforming things. In other instances, it has shut down those school districts or annexed them to other districts.
1: Tick tock on the clock.
0: Tick tock -tock on on the the clock. clock.
1: From the Wall Street Journal, the Biden administration now demanding that TikTok's Chinese owners sell their stakes in the video sharing app or face a possible U.S. ban of the app. The move represents a major shift in policy on the part of the administration, which has faced criticism from Republicans and some Democrats on Capitol Hill for not taking the perceived threat from TikTok seriously since it is owned by Beijing-based Fight Dance. The Committee on Foreign Investment in the U.S., or CFIUS, a multi-agency federal task force that oversees national security risks in cross-border investments, made the sale demand recently a divestiture could result in a sale or an IPO. TikTok's U.S. unit could be worth between 40 and $50 billion. It comes as TikTok's been negotiating with the U.S., including the Justice Department, to make concessions to stay in the country. If they are forced to sell, though, the Chinese government would still have to agree to the transaction and no telling if that would ever happen.
0: And I imagine, Jill, uh, a potential ban would lead many young people in this country to begin protesting, similar to how the French are protesting, uh, raising the retirement age over there. You mentioned the Chinese government having to agree to a transaction. That's one of the issues here, Jill, that over there, there is no separation between private industry and the government like we have here. All companies, even private companies, publicly traded companies in China, essentially report to the Chinese Communist Party. And that's the concern about ByteDance owning TikTok, which is technically based in Singapore. Last year, TikTok agreed to undergo this national security review by CFIUS, this group here in the U.S. Under the existing plan, which is known as Project Texas, TikTok agreed to bring in Oracle, the tech company here, to host the user data of TikTok users here in the U.S., review its software, etc. That does not appear to be enough for the government with this whole demand. You just need to sell to a non-Chinese company. For us to let you stay in the country, it comes as we've been telling you that there are calls from Republicans, Democrats who've proposed multiple bills banning TikTok. Across the board, the US government has told employees to delete the app from their work devices. That happened a couple months ago. A number of states have also done the same thing. And this isn't restricted to America, the UK, Canada, several other countries have also told their government employees to ban TikTok from their devices. So we'll see what happens here, but it appears, like most things, a lot of the cards are still held by the Chinese government here, and the negotiation there in Beijing will be interesting.
1: From the Washington Post, the federal judge who could upend access to a key abortion medication seemed open on Wednesday to the argument that the drug had not been properly vetted 23 years ago and could be unsafe. Those are claims the FDA and leading health organizations strongly contest. While the anti-abortion group challenging the drug acknowledged there is no precedent for a court to order the suspension of a long-approved medication, U.S. District Judge Matthew Kazmerik questioned whether MIFPRZone has met the rigorous federal standard necessary to be prescribed to patients. He asked a lawyer for the group whether the court could unilaterally withdraw FDA approval for a drug and engaged with attorneys for both sides about whether mailing the pills should be prohibited because of a 19th century law that bans sending articles for any indecent or immoral use through the Postal Service.
0: Keep in mind here that mifepristone is used for medication abortions, which account for the majority of abortions in the country, as well as uh, miscarriage and other care. At the close of the four hour hearing, Kazmarek, who was appointed a couple years ago by former President Trump and was opposed by abortion rights groups, said he would issue his ruling as soon as possible. And if he rules against the FDA here, it could potentially disrupt access to mifepristone, even in states where abortion is legal, since this is a federal case. Now, his decision will likely be appealed to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. That's the next level up in the federal system down there. That's based down in New Orleans. That is considered a conservative district. Upon their ruling, you would then expect the case to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Notably, one of the issues that's come up here is this idea of court chopping, Jill, because literally this case was filed by the plaintiffs in Kazmarek's district because they know that he is more sympathetic to uh, anti-abortion rights arguments and because it would then go up to the Fifth Circuit, which is known as a more conservative circuit. So uh, keep in mind here that regardless of the outcome, you will likely be seeing multiple appeals and this thing potentially go all the way up to the Supreme Court.
1: There are some legal analysts who say if the judge does move forward and ban abortion medicine, It could have implications for other medicines that have been approved by the FDA. For example, things like vaccines. You could see a group saying they're not safe. The FDA didn't fully vet it properly.
0: Yeah, there's a huge precedent here because again, the FDA approved Mifrostone in the year 2000, 23 years ago. And now you have a single judge, federal judge in Texas who could say, no, I don't think they did a good enough job. And so that sort of precedent here is concerning some folks over at the FDA, CDC and other government agencies.
1: From Fox News, embattled Congressman George Santos has officially filed paperwork that would let him run for re election to the U.S. House, despite calls for him to not run again and even resign following his numerous scandals since first being elected last November. Santos has not formally announced a new bid, but this paperwork allows him to continue to raise money, including for potential legal fees given that he is under multiple investigations.
0: So many investigations.
1: Santos represents New York's third congressional district on Long Island, eh, where 78% of his constituents say that they want him to resign.
0: Jill, I understand you're familiar with that third congressional <laughs> district.
1: He is my congressman, most. Oh. <laughs> um, he has faced heavy scrutiny in recent months after revelations surfaced that he lied about numerous details of his life, including his education, his work history, his religion, that his mother died in the attacks on September 11th, and that his family fled the Holocaust. I, I Need I go on?
0: Jill, we haven't even gotten to the bad shacks he passed to the Amish puppy mills in Pennsylvania.
1: <laughs> um, he has actually admitted to a number of these lies, but has repeatedly refused to resign.
0: Yeah, so as you mentioned, he's facing multiple investigations. That includes the House Ethics Committee, which launched an investigation recently, following allegations that he was engaged in unlawful activity related to his congressional campaign. So that's something he could face federal penalties for. And and the House Ethics Committee could come back if they choose to and say that they demand that he should be removed from Congress. There are also other penalties below that that they could suggest. So we're going to wait on results on that. Among the accusations they're looking into relate to failing to properly disclose required information on statements he filed with the House violating federal conflict of interest laws in connection with his role at a previous financial firm and potential sexual misconduct towards someone he employed. So, Jill, this latest filing now allows him to fundraise for a potential run for reelection here. He hasn't officially said he's going to run for reelection, but he is now legally able to. The question is, in terms of fundraising, who is going to give this guy a single dime at this point?
1: It is a great question Moshe and and I think the only thing worse than the fact that I live in the district that elected him is if we were to somehow reelect him.
0: given the 80 percent disapproval rating i would be shocked but honestly nothing shocks me in politics these days
1: okay now to a different kind of competition america has a favorite new dog breed for the first time in 31 years the american kennel club says that the french bulldog has unseated the labrador retriever the associated press describes french bulldogs as adorable in some eyes Deplorable in others. The French Bulldog Club of America, however, says they are comical, friendly, loving little dogs, city friendly, with modest grooming and exercise needs. They offer a lot in a small package. With roots in England and then France, French Bulldogs became chic among American elites around the turn of the 20th century and then faded from favor. But that changed very quickly recently. Social media and celebrity owners, ranging from Leonardo DiCaprio to Megan the Stallion to Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they gave the dogs some fresh exposure. And then last year, a Frenchie named Winston took second place at Westminster and then won the national dog
0: show. Yeah, living in New York City, you can't go anywhere without seeing someone walking their Frenchie on the sidewalk. The critics, though, see this as a huge problem. There's concern that demand plus the premium that some buyers will pay for exotic coat colors and textures is engendering quick buck breeders and unhealthy dogs. The breed's popularity is sharpening debate over whether there's anything healthy about propagating dogs that are prone to breathing, spinal, eye, and skin conditions. There's a lot of concern in the vet community that they're being exploited, uh, and they have a lot of health issues. One vet says that a lot of the characteristics that are bred into these dogs are for looks, not necessarily for health and welfare. New research from abroad suggests that Frenchies have different and poor health than other dogs. Some advice if you want any purebred dog, explore the breeder's history and health testing. By the way, going back to the most popular list, Jill, which we did on Instagram. So you have Frenchies at number one, Labs at two, Golden Retrievers at three, German Shepherd four, and Poodle at five. We'll link in the show notes to the full list of 199 breeds uh, and uh, how popular or unpopular they are in the U.S. right now. And for those asking about the doodles, though we do see doodles everywhere, they're technically a mixed breed. So the American Kennel Club does not give them their own category.
1: Okay, from CNBC, actor and producer Ryan Reynolds has cut his first billion dollar deal Mint Mobile, the wireless company that counts Reynolds as a minority owner, has been acquired by wireless giant T-Mobile in a deal that could value the startup firm at $1.35 billion. The actual payout will depend on the performance of the brands before and after the deal closes, but it's expected to stay close to that $1.3 billion number. It isn't immediately clear how much Reynolds will personally see from the deal, Although he's said to own between 20 to 25% of Mint Mobile, implying a payday of hmm, at least $200 million.
0: Yeah, not bad at all for Van Wilder, a couple hundred million dollars there. He's been key to the marketing efforts. Um, Many of you may have seen the commercials where he appears as, as the front man behind a mint green background delivering playful sales pitches. Reynolds will apparently continue on in his creative role at Mint after this acquisition. And by the way, he's no stranger here to big business deals. In 2020, just a couple years ago, he sold his aviation gin brand to Diageo in a deal worth $600 million. So like you said, the top, Jill, it appears that acting is just a side hustle for him at this point, given these like huge business deals he's making. Reynolds, by the way, says that this deal will benefit Mint Mobile customers. And in a video announcing the purchase, the T-Mobile CEO says they will continue Mint's $15 a month pricing.
1: It's kind of how I feel about Ashton Kutcher at this point. I feel like he's more of an investor and then acting is his side hustle.
0: Or you could even say LeBron James at this point. I mean, he still continues to play. Oh, does he play
1: basketball? (laughs) <laughs> exactly, <No.
0: laughs> like, like like a number of these athletes, and and frankly, you've seen it among musicians too, who you know moved on from their core creative work and have become really prolific at business.
1: Well, they've got money.
0: It does take some money to make a lot of money, sometimes, Joe.
1: Okay, speaking of money from Axios, so you're telling me there's a chance the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament kicks off today. The odds of having a perfect NCAA bracket which means going 63 for 63, are approximately one in 9.2 quintillion, according to the NCAA. So Axios puts it this way. There are an estimated 7.5 quintillion grains of sand on Earth. So if I picked one at random and then had you guess which of the 7.5 quintillion grains of sand on the planet it was, (laughs) your odds of being correct would actually be 23% better then your odds of picking a perfect bracket.
0: Yeah, just to give you a frame of reference here for those listening. So 1 million has six zeros in it. A billion has nine zeros in it. A trillion has 12 zeros in it. So add six more to that. A quintillion (laughs) is one followed by 18 zeros. For context, and we were talking about this at the top, the odds of getting struck by lightning are one in 15,300. One in 15,000 struck by lightning, a perfect bracket, one in nine quintillion. So definitely be careful in the next thunderstorm. Since the NCAA started tracking online brackets in 2016, just a few years ago, the closest anyone has come to perfection was back in 2019, when an Ohio neuropsychologist nailed the first 49 picks before flaming out in the Sweet 16. Still pretty remarkable that uh, that person got 49 picks. But good luck to all of you and your brackets and trying to pick those upsets. You know, it's always difficult the 13-4, the 10-7, you know who are the upset specials and you'll go through all the predictions and you see the recommendation engines on cbs and espn etc and you know at, at least in an office setting these things tend to be fun
1: again my takeaway is just that we actually have pretty high odds of getting struck by lightning <laughs> who knew
0: <laughs> jill i feel like that puts a damper on it i would like you tomorrow to pick up a grain of sand and then i want to guess <laughs> All right, now time for On This Day in History on this March 16th. We'll start in 1802, 221 years ago. The U.S. Military Academy at West Point, one of the oldest service academies in the world, was officially established on this day in 1802 by Congress, initially as the home of the U.S. Corps of Engineers, and then as one of the most elite military academies in the world. We'll fast forward now to the 20th century and a little bit of pop culture. 63 years ago today, Alfred Hitchcock's movie Psycho premiered on this day in 1960. The film starring Anthony Perkins and Janet Leigh is an all-time classic of the suspense movie genre. And incidentally, Janet Leigh, the mother of Jamie Lee Curtis, Janet Leigh herself, was nominated for an Oscar and Jamie Lee Curtis won her first Oscar this week.
1: Notably, Janet Leigh spells Leigh L-E-I-G-H and Jamie Lee Curtis spells it L-E-E.
0: Jill, a helpful note next time that comes up in a New York Times crossword puzzle. (laughs) All right, 55 years ago today, in music news, on March 16th, 1968, Sitting on the Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding reached number one on the Billboard charts. Notably, Redding had actually died in a plane crash the previous December at the age of 25, but had already recorded the song, so they released it a month after his death, and this becomes the first ever posthumous number one hit. Uh, Otis Redding, really incredible contributions to music in just 25 years.
1: I had no idea that he died at the age of 25. We, we talk a lot about some of these musicians who died so young. And it's incredible to your point how much great music they made, and, and really sad to think about how much more they could have made had they lived longer.
0: And finally, now to the sporting scandal that rocked the 90s. For everyone who remembers this or may have seen the movie I Tanya, on this day in 1994, 29 years ago today, Tanya Harding officially pled guilty in court to conspiracy to hinder prosecution for covering up the attack on her skating rival, Nancy Kerrigan. She was fined $100,000, was banned from amateur figure skating. Remember her ex-husband, Jeff Kaluli, and his partner ended up serving prison time for actually engaging in the attack on Nancy Kerrigan. Both of them, by the way, would compete in the Olympics just weeks after that attack. uh, In February of 94, Harding would finish in eighth place. Nancy Kerrigan, having recovered from her injury, won the Olympic silver, finishing in second place behind gold medalist Aksana Bayul. Uh, fast forward a number of years later, I, Tanya, the film would win a number of awards depicting all of this with Margot Robbie playing Tanya Harding.
1: That movie was great, and it does give you a little bit of a different perspective on what happened because, of course, growing up and watching it live and play out, you know, you just are kind of team Nancy Kerrigan. And not that you're no longer sympathetic to her, but you kind of at least feel a little bit for Tanya Harding.
0: Oh, yeah. You see how the film depicts the abuse she suffered as a child. The abuse she suffered from her ex-husband, Jeff Galuli, who, by the way, would go on to take on a new name because it became so infamous. So after his prison time, he became Jeff Stone and became a used car dealer. But it is one of those stories from the 90s. We talk about these often, right? Monica Lewinsky, uh, some of these other stories where these people were uh, basically shamed publicly. And then only years later, you start to really get the uh, full picture by the way Tiny Harding today is 53 years old she went on to box and she taught some figure skating at some point and now has a 12 year old son
1: all right, Mo, that is a wrap. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow.
0: Yeah, we're so grateful for the uh, wonderful reviews many of you have been leaving us. Jill, one that popped up in the last couple of days, x 3 says, The show is my daily go-to for news. The podcast keeps me informed without all the partisan stuff. The little one at the end who thanks me for listening is adorable. Aww. Thanks, Mo and Jill.
1: I love that. I I actually am just looking at one of the reviews now. I love this last line. If you aren't already listening, what are you even doing with your life?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can we we get your daughter to record that line? Uh, Yeah. For a future podcast?
1: (laughs) A hundred (laughs) percent.
0: Don't forget to follow us beyond the podcast over on Instagram at Mosh at M-O-S-H-E-H. All things 24-7 coverage over there. Jill, tomorrow's Friday. I'll see you then.
1: All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.